We're in Romans chapter 6. And to review just for a a minute or two, um, we've looked at the total depravity of man. And through this book, we're, we're growing. We're growing in the work of God for the redemption of man. Starting with the total depravity of man. And that's simply this. That man's nature was sinful and wicked and rebellious towards God. And he had no desire to come out of that state. There was nothing that man could do. His reasoning, his heart was completely corrupt by sin and by the devil, and he could not leave that place. That's where man was. And so, even in in that state, without God intervening in the affairs of mankind, man's lost. He's got no hope. Man's not going to come to God. But the Lord made a way through His Son Jesus, and that was the righteousness of God, which is by faith. That that we were unable to attain, God attained for us in Jesus Christ. And in Jesus, by faith, the church, the born again, they are justified. We looked at justification. The work of God, the transaction, I I like that word. I think it's very fitting. That the sin of man laid on the back of the Son of God, the perfect righteousness of the Son of God imputed unto man so that sin is paid for by the death of Christ, and man is rendered as just or innocent in God's eyes by Christ's work. Now that's that's a heavenly work. When someone is truly saved, you can't tell that by looking at them on the outside. And I don't take that wrong at all, but it's true. The outward appearance doesn't change. But in chapter 6, we've been looking at the rest of that work. It's not just a work that's up in glory, and that's all there is to it. But with justification, there's a regeneration of man, the inward man, a new creature that's produced by the salvation of the soul of man. And through the first 11 verses, that's what we've been looking at, the work of God in the heart. It's unmistakable. It cannot be that one is saved and does not have regeneration. This is a part of the same work. When a sinner is justified and made to be righteous by God's hand through Jesus Christ, their inward man is regenerated by the power of God, by the Word, and by the Holy Spirit that they are a new creature. And if you remember last time, we said it's hinted at the battle that the old man is crucified. The old man is not dead. The old man is crucified. And there's a warfare between the two. So in verse 12, we'll pick up, Let not sin reign therefore in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. So here's the labor that's left for the born again to do. There is a warfare to fight and a a, a battle to wage within each of us. 
And Anthony mentioned the kingdom being within a man. And we talked last week that God in Christ Jesus has made us to be kings and priests. And as nice as it sounds to the flesh to be a king over other people and to be a king over a country or a nation one day, that's not what he's ever talking about in the Word of God. But here he says, let not sin. And that word means to rule or to exercise kingly power. Now there's where our kingdom is. It's over this man. It's ruling and overseeing the affairs of my life. God has made us kings over these men. So where does that leave us? Here's a sinner that has been plucked out of the kingdom of the devil, translated into the kingdom of his dear son, adopted into the family of God, and made a new creature. Now in in the heavenly part, they are perfected. The work of the Lord Jesus Christ has, by the word of God, perfected forever them that are sanctified. But the flesh and the life that we live here is not perfect. There's a battle to war. So therefore exercise your kingly power and let not sin reign to rule as a king over your, in your mortal body that you should obey it. That word means to hear under as a subordinate. Don't let sin be your ruler or overseer. And notice where it is. It's in the mortal body. There's the battle. There's the warfare that the saints of God, the elect of God fight day by day. It's the inward man that's regenerated by the work of God in Jesus Christ and the outward man that's a son of Adam that's sinful and wicked and rebellious towards God. And those two natures are completely contrary to one another. They war against one another continually. And we'll see that in chapter 7 as well. But he says, don't submit yourselves in verse 13, neither yield ye your members. Don't yield your members. And what members is he speaking of? This body. My hands, my feet, my eyes. Don't yield your members unto sin. That as sin, now sin's present, Satan is working, and we'll look at this scripture again uh, when we get to chapter 7, but in Revelation 12, very familiar scripture here anyway, the battle that wages in the heavenly place, The devil is cast out off the throne. Now is come salvation in the kingdom of God. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And then what? Just as Revelation 12, verse 12. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens. What are they rejoicing over? The salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. The soul of this sinner has been secured by the work of God. Rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. So remember, the two men, a heavenly man, an outward man. A man that's a son of God, a man that's a son of Adam. The first is a quickening spirit. The first is of the earth earthy. The second is a quickening spirit. There's two in every one of us. And here... Rejoice, ye heavens, and there, that is where 
the saints of God give glory to the Lord for salvation. It's out of the heart. I realize that it comes through the mouth, but it's not in the flesh that we glorify God at all. But it's that that's bubbling up out of the heavenly place. You know what's in there? That's the new man. That's the child of God. That's the one that God performed a work in. And He rejoices in the work of the Lord Jesus. But the earthly man, there's trouble. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and sea. For the devil has come down unto you having great wrath. So where's the devil now? He's removed from the heavenly man. There's a new creature there. But he's out now in the earth and he's got great wrath. His anger is kindled. His desire to stir trouble. You know what he comes for? To steal, to kill, and destroy. And now he's filled with great wrath because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. You know what he's got in the life of the believers? He's got the space of time from the point that they're regenerated and saved until they die and leave this world. He's just got a short time to trouble and to steal, kill, and destroy from them because when the believer dies, they shed the Adam man and in the resurrection, they're going to receive a new body, not like Adam's body, filled with sin and rebellion towards God, but a new body that's like the second man, Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, that's perfect. And Satan's going to be cast into the lake of fire. He'll have no more dominion, no more opportunity to trouble. So you know what he's doing today? He's stirring up and trying to cause all the trouble, all the confusion, all the fear, all the doubt, all of the sin, all of the rebellion that he can, and he's working through our flesh, through our carnal mind, through our natural man. So by this, this warfare, this fight, and it's, it's the age-old fight of good and evil, of God and the devil, of the truth and a lie. And it wages in each one of us. So we talked last time as we closed that Scripture like this could lead people to being super saints and holier than thou in their mind. But that's not the case here. But whether you would consider yourself mighty men and women of God, or whether you consider yourself the weakest of the weak, it doesn't change this battle. The commandment's the same, one to all, let not sin rule over you. That as the devil would lay sin in your path, as the devil who's in the flesh would draw you away with your own lusts and entice you in James chapter 1. Let's read that. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So how does the devil begin the work? With our own lusts. That's our desires. That's what I want. That's what I look at in the flesh. 
That's what I want. That's what I'd like to have. That's what I would desire to be. Whatever that it may be, that's my desires. The devil starts there. And he uses my own natural carnal desires against me to entice me, to draw me into rebellion towards God, to draw me into doing that that would not be pleasing towards God, draw me into sin. And lust, this is the way he says it, then when lust hath conceived. Now you got a picture of a man and woman there. Conception is when the seed of a man fertilizes that in the womb of a woman. You know what's going to happen then? There's going to be a child then. From that point on, there's going to be a child that's going to come forth. So how do we prevent this from happening? What's the child that's going to be produced? When it's conceived, it brings forth sin. When I allow my desires to entice me, and when I don't cut that off immediately, that's going to grow in me, and that will produce sin. And sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. It never brings forth what you thought it was going to. It never blesses you like you thought it would bless you. It always produces death. So Paul says here in Romans, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. Don't yield your body to be a servant to the sin and the temptation of the devil. You're regenerated. You're a new creature in the Lord Jesus Christ. God's gave us authority as a king by the grace of God that's within us Let's let not let sin to have its dominion over our lives. The devil would like to rule over you. He'd like to bring you back under his power. He'd like to bring you away from God. He'd like to destroy all that he can. But the children of God have the grace of God within them. They're made kings and priests and rulers over their outward man. Let not sin reign in your mortal body, neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God. Don't yield to sin, but yield to what the Word of God would lead us to. Yield ourselves as servants unto God to be pleasing unto Him first and foremost. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, the Lord Jesus says. He says in Philippians, set your affections not on things of the earth, but set your affections on things above. Let your desire, let your number one hunger and thirst be after the things of God and let the things that pertain to this life fall secondary to the things of God. Yield yourselves as instruments of God to work the will of God in this life. That the Lord could use us, that the Lord could get glory out of us, that the name of the Lord could be exalted through the church. Yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. Live like something been resurrected from the power of Satan. 
Don't you reckon, I believe we'd all agree with this to an extent, that if somebody's been regenerated, there ought to be evidence of it in their life? Would you expect, if somebody says they got saved, for them to talk like somebody that's saved and not like the wicked world? Would you expect for them to walk like somebody is saved and not like the wicked world? Well, that's what he says here. Yield yourselves unto God like them that are alive from the dead. He says in Hebrews 11, he speaks the whole chapter about what the work of faith did in the lives of all the old patriarchs in the Old Testament. And he comes to 12 and says, Seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, looking back at all that's happened through the past, and the work that God's wrought in their lives, will hear, as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. So seeing that you are alive from the dead, that you are made a king and a priest over your outward man, don't allow sin to rule and have dominion over you. Don't let sin and don't let worldliness and don't let things of this life be that that controls your life. We ought to be above that by the grace of God that's within us and your members as instruments. Now when you think about an instrument, you could think about a musical instrument, but that's, that would be a word I think you could apply to the surgeon's room. And they bring in the tray of instruments. Now you know what those are. On that tray, they can't help you one lick. But in the hand of the surgeon, he can take those instruments and use them to accomplish outstanding, amazing works by his hands that they're able to do. Well, that's what the church is. The church on its own is of no value to anybody. But by the grace of God, the hand of the Master can take the church, can take a testimony, can take a song, can take a portion of Scripture, and using us as His instruments, get that Word of God out to a world that doesn't have that understanding. The church is the instrument, the body of Christ, he says in Corinthians, saying the same thing. The church is the method the means that God uses to spread His gospel through a lost and dying world. So yield yourselves as members, your members as instruments of God unto God, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. Now under the law, sin had dominion. Under the law, we were ruled by sin. There was nothing we could do about that. The law was righteous. We were unrighteous. We couldn't live up to it. We couldn't help it. We were hopelessly lost. But we're not under the law now. The church is under the grace of God. And he says, and I realize this is a familiar Scripture as well in Titus, the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, 
We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So the law, the law was like the covenant up here, a list of rules to go by. And we couldn't keep them. Because inwardly now, our desire was to look at those rules and do the opposite of them. And when you break one, you're guilty, and there's just no hope. Well, grace is not like that. This grace of God works in the inward part of man. He says, and he says it several times in the New Testament, but this is what he says of the new covenant in Hebrews 8 verse 10. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my laws into their mind and write them into their hearts. So what does grace do? Grace takes the law off two tables of stone sitting up before me saying, now you better do all of these or you're going to die. Grace takes the law from the tables and brings it into my heart. And that now, inwardly, the church of the living God has an inward man and his sole desire is to follow God and glorify Him in this life. We're not under the law anymore, but we're under the grace of God that enables and that strengthens and that has changed our desire from I'm going to break that to my inward desire is to keep and serve and honor God with my members. So that grace of God, that power of God that teaches us, that's written now in the tables of our heart, that gives us the inward strength that we did not have beforehand to resist and strive against the sin of the outward man. So he says in John chapter 8, verse 34. John chapter 8, verse 34. Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. I know that ye are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me, because my word hath no place in you. Now they sought to kill the Lord. They said they were free. But you know why they sought to kill the Lord? That was their inward man's desire. Their inward man was dead. They were unregenerate. And in the inward man, they despise the Lord. Now that's the way it is in our world. Should be no surprise that unregenerated people despise the Word of God, the preaching of the Gospel, the teaching of the Word of God, the church maybe. Should be no surprise. You know why that is? That's their inward desire. The church ought not be like that though, should they? Inwardly, and you, you can take this to the bank. You can guarantee it. If that person's saved inwardly, they'll love the gospel. Inwardly, they'll love preaching. They'll love the Word of God. And inwardly, they'll desire to please God. That's not because they're some super saint. 
That's because God's done a work in their heart. We're not under the law anymore. You know what the law had? Super saints. Good people. We're moral. And we've kept the law better than everybody else. Pharisees. We're not under the law any longer. We're under the grace of God. The enabling grace of God that dwells within a man that strengthens us, that gives us the inward desire and hunger to please God by the Spirit. So yield not yourselves, your members of of righteousness to God, for sin shall not have any dominion. And that word again, to rule or to be the Lord of over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? Well, now here's another question. Remember, all through this book, he answers these questions as we would come to them. So here's another one. So wait a minute, we're under grace. Well, why not just sin since we're under grace and we're not going to be held accountable by the law? Why can't we just sin? Well, God forbid. God forbids and grace prevents us from continuing in sin. The regeneration of God prevents those that are saved from continuing on as servants to the devil. In Ephesians chapter 8, chapter 2, I'm sorry, and I know this, this is familiar. We could probably all quote it backwards. Verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So there's justification and regeneration. Wherefore, we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. This is all the work of God. Here's the work inwardly. Here's God doing a work in a man. And here's the reflection of that in the outward life that now the outward man is changed and we're His workmanship, we're His product, created in Christ Jesus unto good works to serve Him. Saved to serve Him. Saved to please Him. Jude, verse number 4, he speaks of those wicked, false prophets, false teachers spreading lies and the doctrines of God, and he says they would turn the grace of God into lasciviousness, licentiousness, unbridled lust, or a license to sin. Well, that's what this question is right here. We're under grace. We're not accountable to the law anymore. Why don't we just go on in sin? Well, that is contrary to the nature of grace. That is not... What grace does. Remember what he said in Titus? The grace of God teaches me not to sin. The inward desire of someone that's born again is to not sin. If they're a child of God inwardly, that is their desire inwardly, right? If they're led and filled with the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost, the third person of the Godhead, that's as holy and as pure and as righteous and as powerful as God the Father and God the Son, wouldn't the Holy Spirit lead us away from sin? Sure. Sure. 
grace doesn't lead to sin. No, this, this, is a, this is a foolish question, really. And the answer is God forbid. God forbids it to be the case. Grace forbids it. Grace prevents sin. Grace is a deterrent to sin. Grace leads me the opposite way from sin. Just like Job, Job eschewed evil. He fled from evil. The grace of God will influence man to flee from sin and not yield as servants to it. Grace is that when the outward man begins to lust. Grace is that servant that says, David, that's Uriah the Hittite's wife. Grace is that that says that's sin. That's ungodliness. That's not where you ought to go. So at that point now, we've all been there, we're there multiple times. We've got the intuition and the desire of the flesh and we've got grace. Now they're contrary. And the question over and over and over is, what am I going to yield these to? Am I going to follow the intuition of the outward man who we know is under the leadership of the devil and the devil has great wrath to steal, kill, and destroy all that he can? Or am I going to yield my members to the grace of God in the inward man, that that's been regenerated? Now know this, to yield unto God, to yield this man to God is contrary to His will. He'll never be satisfied with that. He'll never be pleased with that. And he'll fight to the bitter end Against that. And it's not, it's not me trying to stop you. Boy, if, if you tried to stop me, I could fight you. But it's different here. It's you stopping you. It's your own desire that's leading you astray. It's a lot harder battle than fighting me off. It's it's fighting the desires of my own self and surrendering my own self unto God. Yield yourselves unto God. Don't be subordinate to sin. Don't follow the leadership and intuition of the flesh and the carnal mind, but be a subordinate to the grace and to the Word of God. Let God be your leader, your King, that that rules over you. Verse 15... What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey. Now that sounds elementary. But boy, you, you break it down just a little and that's a hard pill to swallow. You know whose servants you are? The one you obey. We've already covered in the first 13 verses of this chapter. Is a child of God that's regenerated, are they servants to sin? Are children of God servants to sin? 
No, they're servants unto God. They've been regenerated. Planted in the likeness of the death of the Son of God. Raised again in newness of life. They are new creatures in the inward man. So can a man be under grace and continue on in rebellion and sin? God forbid. Because those that continually are subordinate to sin, they're the servants of sin. Their master is sin. Their master is the devil. In 2 Peter, now in 2 Peter chapter 2, he's speaking here of the same people that Jude was speaking of. But verse 19, while they promised them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. Man today proclaims to be free, free-willed, and we'll do as we please. But you know what they are? They're servants of corruption. <coughs> They're free. They're free to sin and serve the devil. They're free to be a servant of iniquity and rebellion towards God. But now the Son of God has worked that we could be free. Free from what? Free from the servitude of the devil and of sin. Those regenerated are free in the Lord Jesus Christ by His grace to resist sin and to walk for the glory of the Son of God. So in Matthew chapter 6... Verse 24, no man can serve two masters. There's no neutrality. No gray area. No parting place. You can't serve both. You can't have a little of one and a little of the other. We are either today. We are yielding our members as servants to what the flesh wants and desires, or we are yielding our members unto what God would want and desire. We are today either serving and yielding ourselves to God, or we are continually yielding ourselves to the carnal mind and to the flesh. We either... Now listen, the warfare goes day by day. I wonder who wins. Do we do what God says? Or do we do what I think? Do we do what God says? Or do we do what the family says? Do we do what God would lead us to do? Or do we do what I believe to be the right thing? You know why people are always free to do what they think? You know why we can forsake what the Bible says? And we ain't really worried about what God thinks. This is what I think and this is what I'm going to do. You know why people are free to do that? They're not servants of God. They're yielding themselves to their master. You're not serving both. You're not serving yourself and God. You're yielding to one or the other. That's what, that's what the Lord said in Matthew. You can't serve two masters. It can't be. Well, in Romans... To whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, the one that you are subordinate to the most, that's who your master is. So who's your master? 
Who is your ruler? Who's your overseer? Who do you yield to? The devil? No, it ain't the devil. No, it's just, that's what I think. Really? Well, it's contrary to God. We're either yielding ourselves as servants to sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. There's only two. There's no neutrality. The Lord said in one place, He that gathereth not with us is against us. So see, we're either with or against. We're either serving one or the other. And we are not serving both. The Lord don't leave any wiggle room whatsoever. You're serving one or the other today. You're yielding to one or the other today. So he says, let's look one more place back in uh, Titus just for another minute. Chapter 2. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. Now this is in the mortal body of the believers. Ungodliness and worldly lusts are still in the mortal body of the believers. The natural desire... The fleshly desire of the believer is ungodliness and worldly lusts. But the grace of God inside says resist that. The grace of God inside says refrain from that. The great, it's, Brad says early warning system. It's that alarm system. It's the grace of God that speaks to our heart and says resist that sin teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live. Now this is the way grace would have man to be. Sober. Sobriety is something that's greatly missing. And I don't mean sober from drinking or from drugs. I mean sober thinking. Sound reasoning and thinking. God would like for my mind to be sound and not clouded, just as alcohol would cloud my judgment and my thinking. For my thinking not to be clouded by the flesh, by feelings, by love, by opinions, but that I could think soberly as the Word of God would have me to think. Soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. God would have His church to walk in a way that is absolutely contrary to the natural desire of man. God would have uh, His church, He says a peculiar people in one place. Well, that's what's peculiar. You're walking contrary to what you would naturally walk. The life has been changed and regenerated by the work of God. Now grace, the law has went from the outside to the inside. The power of God has thrown out the influence of Satan in the inward man. And today we have the grace of God inwardly to teach us how to walk and how to live. Now without instruction, which way am I going to go? Without the grace of God to teach 
I'm going to follow what I think every single time. But the grace of God is there to lead and guide the believers. I want to, I want to read this and we'll finish. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin. You know what I used to be? You can read it in, in multiple places in the New Testament. What the church, what the elect, what the born again used to be. We used to be servants of sin. We used to do whatever sin and our own lusts enticed us to do. And we did it and never thought twice about it. Never felt guilty about it. That's what pleases me. And that's what I'm going to do. That's the way we were. But ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. There was a difference in them now. They were no longer the servants of sin, but by the gospel that they received and came to, they were made new creatures. No longer servants to sin, but servants of the grace of God.